You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms and remain standing for the reading and proclaiming of God's word. Our reading this morning is taken from Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are continuing our series in the Psalms of Ascent. These are songs that would be sung by God's people as they journeyed to Jerusalem for the festivals three times a year. And this was the place, really, where they would experience the presence of God together, where really life's meaning would be brought back into focus through worship. And today, these psalms serve as a template for us on our journey of faith as well. Now, I find the language of journey to be extremely helpful. Uh, For one, it's the way that the scriptures describe the life of discipleship, especially in the New Testament. We hear these phrases like the path of life and following Jesus and the Christian walk and staying the course and running the race. Faith isn't static. It's a movement with and toward God. But, but also, I think it's language that resonates with our culture today. I think most people, uh, religious or not, tend to see their lives as moving in a certain direction, on, on some sort of journey, heading somewhere. And I think in the 21st century, typically, this is a, a journey of self-discovery, trying to figure out who we are, and why we exist, right? There's that old saying that's attributed to Mark Twain that two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. Now, a few weeks ago, I needed to get outside and I went and just spent some time walking around UOP and I sat down at a bench at the grassy area in front of the big UC building and I look up at the side of the building and there's this large vinyl sign that says, your journey of purpose starts here. And purpose is in like big, bold, exaggerated letters. Your journey of purpose. Now, if you ask me, this is good marketing because that's what just about everyone is looking for. But unfortunately, what this reveals is a problem that most of us face in our journey. We think that our purpose, the reason for our existence, what gives our life meaning, somehow begins with the education that we get or the meaningful work that we do or the family that we form, that these become the sources of our purpose. And we say things like this, I just want to find a job that gives me meaning or or, or, I just want to meet that person that completes me or I just feel like something is missing in my life until I have children. 
You see, the problem is this, that we were never intended to get our purpose in what we do, the things that we build, the families that we form, the communities that we impact. Instead, and this is really important, listen, we were created with purpose. In fact, created with a purpose that predates even our own existence. We're told in Ephesians 2 that we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what that means is I don't have to create purpose. I don't have to discover purpose. I don't need to build purpose. I don't need to birth purpose. Purpose is something that God has created and then gives to us as a gift of grace. And now, we are then intended to incorporate that purpose into what we do, the things that we build, uh, the families that we form, the, the communities that we, we impact. And you see, whenever we get this backwards, which we often do, when, whenever we get this order backwards, we, we begin to ask life to give us something that it simply cannot. And, and I think that this is why often uh, things become so vain. Things in life become so dissatisfying. It's because we, we drain it of what it was intended to be. We, we suck the life out of work, and in the long run, we allow work to suck the life out of us, thinking that one day it's going to give us the purpose that we long for. And so it's no wonder that, according to recent research, the average millennial's tenure is going to be somewhere around two years, which means if you're anywhere between approximately the age of 20 to 40, statistically, you are planning on changing jobs every two years. Uh, other research done by Barna Research, uh, among all adults, found that less than one in five adults, 19% of adults, say that they are satisfied in their current work, which means what? It means 81% of the rest of adults are out there dissatisfied, brushing up their resumes in hopes of finding one day meaningful, purposeful work. What we have to remember is that our journey of purpose doesn't begin when we get a certain education. It doesn't begin when we land the dream job. It doesn't begin when we start a family. Our journey of purpose is a journey to God, who alone gives our life worth, who alone gives our life's meaning, who alone can, can and does justify our existence. See, life is not ultimately about finding ourselves. Life is ultimately about God and Christ finding us and then in him experiencing the existence that we've always dreamed of. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look uh, at three themes in this passage. We're going to look at vanity, value, and vocation. No, not vacation, vocation, which is, we'll find is actually even more important to our health than vacation. But let's look first at vanity. Look with me again in verses 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you raise, uh, rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Hard work, human effort, 
being a responsible individual. These are all great qualities, but they are simply incapable of creating a meaningful existence. There is a meaningful existence, and there is a meaningless existence, and the difference hinges on whether or not God is in it. The the psalmist is really clear. Either God is in it, or it's vanity. It doesn't matter what you achieve. It doesn't really matter how hard you work or what you've done. If it's not done through the Lord, it is empty. That's what this word here, vain, which is repeated three times, means. It means empty and void. And this is a helpful way to begin to think about what our efforts can become, an empty void. That's why multitudes of of successful men and women would tell you that that it really didn't matter how much they they achieved or or how much they've earned, that it never seems to be enough. There's always more to do. There's always more to achieve. There's always more to earn. It's always about reaching beyond. Never settle, never rest, strive for more. In fact, it seems that the more that they achieve, the larger the void becomes, the the larger the demand for more becomes. A few years ago, an actor named Andrew Garfield was cast in a Martin Scorsese film called Silence. And it's about two Catholic leaders trying to bring the faith to Japan in, I believe it was the 17th century. And as a way of getting into character and learning about his role, this actor sought a spiritual director to begin to engage in ancient historic Christian practices And the awesome thing is that through these meetings, he began to really legitimately fall in love with Jesus and experienced faith in the process of his researching for his role. And the person that led him through these Christian practices wrote about their experiences afterward. And he said what Andrew, this this actor, brought to these meetings at first was not... uh, an explicit, you know, desire to know Christ, but instead what he did bring was a painful and persistent sense of his own not-enoughness, his own, quote, not-enoughness. This is what led him to begin to explore faith, that, that deep fear that no matter what he did, that no matter how well he did it, that it was never going to be enough, that it was never going to be able to to satisfy that void. And he began to realize that he needed something greater than success. He needed something greater than fame. He needed something greater than achievements and, and public recognition. And the Bible actually tells us what was going on inside of this actor. And the Bible tells us what is often going on inside of all of us as well. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by an author that knew a thing or two about vanity, it says this in Ecclesiastes 3, God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Think about this. God has set eternity in your heart. The capacity for the eternal resides in all of us, and yet... In our arrogance and in our, you know, desire for autonomy, what we do is we attempt to fill it 
with things that are less than eternal. And this, by the way, is another way of describing sin. Work, family, which are, seem to be like the predominant themes in this psalm, are often the things that we try to fill it with. They are often the things that become the center of our identity and, and our purpose. They become the things that we try to use to justify our existence. And, and as you know, that when these good things become ultimate things, they become idols. They become idols. Tim Keller writes that this is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, to achieve our own sense of self-worth and to find a purpose big enough to give us meaning without God. And he goes on to write that the human soul searches for something that will give it a sense of of worth. And, And if you try to put something, anything, in the middle, that, that place that was originally you know, made for God, it's always going to be too small. And so what it means is it's, it's going to rattle around in there. Anxiety, stress, uh, overwhelm, overworking, burnout, fear, fatigue. These are often signs of something deeper. These are often signs of this rattle that's occurring in our soul. And what we need to remember is that they are alarms to our minds and to our body telling us that something too small has been placed in the center that's reserved for God, that that you're taking on a burden that you were never intended to carry. You're trying to uphold a world that you were never called to uphold. You're looking to something to give your life meaning that was never meant to. And at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is trust. Do you trust God to build your life, or do you need to take matters into your own hands? Um, Do you trust God with your future? Or do you have to make something happen? Do you trust God to give your life meaning? Or do you need to anxiously try to use people or job opportunities to do that? See, the psalmist isn't telling us to stop working hard. Christians should definitely be hardworking people. The psalmist, however, is telling us that we have to start trusting God and remain dependent on him for the results. Because, as it says, if the builder builds and God's not in it, it's vain. It's vain. It doesn't matter how hard you work if God's not in it. It's it's empty. That means we need to trust God with our efforts. We need to trust God for the results. And, And really the way that we can tell whether or not trust It's controlling our lives. Really the litmus test of trust, and it's in this passage, it's very simple. It's rest. How do I know that I'm trusting God in my life? Look to your rest. Look to your rest patterns. It's it's our ability to call it a day. It's our ability to put it down, believing that God is always upholding Uh, It's our ability to call it a week. It's our ability to Sabbath. 
It's our ability to stop our just like ceaseless motion. See, in fact, rest itself is an act of trust which gives naps and sleep such holy, sacred meaning. It's an act of trust that resists the lie that we hold our world in motion and really relies upon God to do what he does best. Now let's look secondly at value, a theme here that's present that I want us to see is value. I think one of the biggest emotional strains that 2020 has, of 2020 really has been the way that work and family have been impacted. People were laid off. Um, others were deemed non-essential. So think about even just like what's being communicated, like you're essential, you are non-essential. Oh, thank you. Um, others faced hours being cut. Others faced benefits being cut. Um, others lost their working space or their normal working environment. I, I would say that the landscape of work has changed for almost everyone. And since so many of us, sadly, somewhere along the way, attached our worth to our work, these changes have now impacted our sense of value, our own personal sense of value. And, and I don't think it's necessarily, necessarily the loss of hours or even money that we fear most, but the loss of significance. I, I think it's, we're deeply afraid of becoming unimportant. I know for me, there have been days where I've worked from home and I never left the house. And these are the days where I just felt very unimportant. And these are the days where I have to battle a lot of negative self-talk. Like, what do I, what is it? What do you even do? Or what, what is the purpose behind all this? And what, are you even making a difference in anyone's life? And what, what's the point? I think similarly, uh, our families and our family dynamics have been impacted. The ways that families function and schooling and all that, it's, everything's just been thrown off. And as a result, our children aren't thriving, I would say. For most of us, our children are kind of barely surviving. And, and when we see our children struggling and when we see our children feeling aimless, we take on their misery and we, we feel responsible for their struggle. And, and, and when they're not thriving, we begin to question ourselves. Like, what kind of parent am I? And what could I have done differently? And, and should I even be a parent in the first place? Now, this has been a really trying year for all of us. And uh, we can't diminish that. But what I think this season is forcing us to do is something that we should have been doing all along. And it's this. It's finding our value in something greater than work and family. For the Christian, you are so much more than your job. For the Christian, you are so much more than your parenting. And what I'm urging you to hear today and to receive today is this, that your value is not determined by what you make of yourself. Your value is determined by what God says about you. And that value is a value that doesn't ebb and flow with any and all of life's circumstances. Now, if you remember our time uh, from the gospel of Mark, we went through Mark last year. One of the most remarkable things 
about the way that Mark begins to tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry is the declaration that Jesus receives at his baptism in chapter 1, at the very, very beginning. And it says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What's so remarkable about this? Listen, it's the very beginning of the story. The pronouncement of his value comes before his performance. God loves him. God accepts him. God treasures him. He delights in him. He, he, he affirms his value before Jesus is recorded doing anything at all. I want you to begin to imagine something with me. Could you imagine a life free from the angst of having to constantly prove your worth and proving your value? Could you imagine living with like this steady uh, confidence that I have value and my value is not determined by my best and my value isn't determined by my worst? Guess what? That's exactly what God desires for you. And that is exactly what God has provided for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that the psalmist points to here in verse 2, it says, For he gives to his beloved sleep. You paying attention? That's the same title that he pronounces over his very own son, Jesus Christ, my beloved. You see, through faith in Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his finished work on the cross, we too become the beloved of the Lord. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us. And so that same statement comes over us. This is my beloved son. With, with you, I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And this isn't based on what we do for God. It's a value that's based on what God does for us. See, the New Testament uh, describes salvation as Entering into God's rest. And the book of Hebrews really leans into this. It, salvation is, is entering into God's rest where we are now able to put down our works. And what, what this doesn't mean is that we stop working. This doesn't mean that we stop doing good works. It means, however, we stop striving to make ourselves something and we simply receive by faith the new life that God has given to us. And what this means for us right now is if, if you trust in Christ, your value will never, ever, ever again be based on how much you make or how hard you work or how big your impact is or how recognized you are or even if you have a job right now. It won't be determined by your relational status or your family situation or how successful you are in raising your children or even if you have ever have children. If you are a child of God through faith in Christ, you've been given a value that far exceeds 
anything that you could ever accomplish for yourself. You have a value that has been determined by the preciousness of Jesus' very own life and blood. And friend, please, don't ever, ever forget it. Now let's look finally at this last theme of vocation. Vocation, this is not a term I think that we use very often. Um, So I want to explain it, define it, and then we'll kind of start working through it to conclude the sermon. Um, Vocation is really about finding our place in God's kingdom, serving God's creation in God's strength for God's glory. Our place in God's kingdom, serving God's creation in God's strength for God's glory. Now, there are themes in this psalm that are very, very practical. I mean, think about work, family, community, and then there's God's presence and provision that appears throughout. And while we may grasp, uh, you know, what they all are individually, I think for many of us, we struggle to understand how they all work together. The relationship between work, family, and, and faith. And so because of that, we tend to live these very segmented lives, these sort of like pie chart looking lives. Like I've got what I do for work here, and I got my home life here, and then I've got my, my faith, I can't turn my arms that way, but my faith here, and so like work days, family in the evening, recreation on the weekends, and then maybe, hopefully, church on Sunday. But we keep them in very separate sections, very, very segmented. Vocation, however, is the place where they all begin to intersect. It's where they all begin to merge and get integrated together. One author defined it like this. Vocation has to do with God's providence, how he governs and cares for his creation by working through human beings. Vocation shows Christians how to live out their faith, not just in the workplace, but in their families, in their churches, and in culture. So a little bit of history. Um, During the Protestant Reformation, the church revived its understanding of vocation because for centuries in the church, it was seen as something that was reserved for a few select men who were called to be priests in service to God. It's what we see still present in the Roman Catholic Church. So that vocation has to, is a very specific thing for specific men called in service to God. But as the reformers began to search the scriptures, they found that vocation is not limited to clergy. And, but it's really every believing man and, and woman and even child is called to be priests in this world, serving God, representing God to others in, in the home and in the workplace and in the church and in the community. And when we begin to see our lives in these terms, We realize that, as it's been said before, there are no small people. There are no small places. There are no small opportunities. Like the janitor uh, at NASA pushing a broom, who in 1962 was asked by President JFK, you know, what, what is it that you do around here? His response was this, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And so it is with us. 
We are part of so, something so much bigger than ourselves, something that God is building. And so, listen, next time uh, the negative self-talk comes in, which I assume is pretty heavy in a season like this, the next time all the negative talk comes in and, and begins to ask, like, what, what is it that you're even doing in life? What was the meaning of this? What's the purpose behind this? I want you to respond. The Psalms give us freedom to talk to ourselves, by the way. I want you to respond to your own soul like this. Oh, this may look like I am like simply cooking dinner. Uh, this may look like I'm like simply folding laundry, but I'm doing something much bigger. I, I'm actually preparing my children to be launched into this world. I am not a babysitter. <laughs> I am someone that is sharpening arrows, a quiver full of arrows to be launched into this world for God's glory. Or, Next time, you know, you're, you're at work and, and that negative self-talk comes in, you respond like this. Oh, it, it may look like I'm doing this like mundane task that isn't necessarily within my job description, but I'm building something here. And the Bible tells me that when my efforts are done as unto the Lord, it's not in vain. Nothing is in vain. I'm not pushing a broom. I'm not simply grading a paper. I'm not simply uh, wiring a panel or changing oil or crunching numbers or sending an email or, or changing a diaper. I am participating in, in bringing God's renewal into this world. There are no small people. There are no small places. There are no small tasks when God is in it. When God is in it. So church, the response is, is quite simple. Let's trust God and let's go get after it. Let's pray.